I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. Man, it was powerful hearing your response in that song. As I just heard behind me all the people singing, I am a child of God. And do you believe that this morning? That you are no longer a slave to fear, but that you are a child of God. I'm going to try not to screw up Olivia's songs here. Because if we believe that, God is going to do awesome things through us, and we can believe that. We are not slaves to fear. We are children of God. Mary Kay is going to share with us this morning. A couple weeks ago, Casey Dubois uh, shared. You can come up here. It's okay. (laughs) It'll be safe, I promise. (laughs) Um, A few weeks ago, Casey Dubois shared with us what she is doing with the homeschooling group and what a blessing it was to hear about how God put this um, vision on her heart to, to work with homeschoolers. And we thought that as we just went through our first week of school, we wanted to also get to hear from and celebrate some of our educators or people who work in the public schools as well. And I know we have more than just teachers in our public schools. We have um, nurses, we have uh, guidance counselors, and uh, Jackson doing finance stuff. I don't know what his title is, but, but Jackson does finance stuff. He works with the money. And every time one of our, a Christian is in that school, it kind of brings God into that school as well. So we wanted to ask somebody to kind of highlight what God has been doing in their life in the public school where you don't expect that you're going to hear about God or see God. And Mary Kay was gracious enough to say that she would share. God has something he's put on her heart um, that she was going to share with us today. But before she shares, I'm going to pray over Mary Kay that he uh, gives her a courage and a boldness and uh, that she will be able to share this because she, like me, gets very nervous in front of people, apparently. And uh, you wouldn't know that because she sings so beautifully up here. Um, but yeah, so I want to come here and I'm going to pray over you. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would just pour your spirit out on Mary Kay. Give her the words to speak, Father. Let her sense your presence um, with her right now. Father, as she sang... She is no longer a slave to fear, but she is a child of yours. And I know, Father, that just as you split the seas, split the waters so that the Israelites could walk through, you are going to open a way for her to speak something powerfully to this congregation, revealing to this congregation what you are doing in our public schools. Many of us have the idea that nothing happens there, Father, good, but there is so much going on. You are working even in those schools. So I just pray that you give Mary Kay a courage and a boldness to share what you've given her. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, um, earlier this week when Pastor Tom texted me, hey, do you want to share your testimony of being a public school educator? I don't think I've ever been more scared to be on this stage right now. (laughs) So um, I immediately felt it in my gut. Um, And I also blame the baristas at our uh, cafe over there because I definitely asked for half and half, half regular, half decaf, and um, I think they slid me an extra 10% of caffeine, so I'm feeling it in my fingertips (laughs) right now. Um, But my, my testimony actually starts out with a prayer. Love, 
joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Lord, encourage me to reflect your fruit of the Spirit as I interact with and work with my students and my colleagues, open their minds and soften their hearts to notice that I possess something far greater than what I can share in my class or at any meeting. That's a common prayer that I find myself praying on my way to Pine Valley Central School. Located in South State in New York, a district rich with a large farming community. As an educator at a public school system, I view my purpose as a disciple of God to be similar of that of a a farmer. Jesus left us with parables that paint pictures of his children as seeds. Some seeds are picked up by birds or scorched under the heat of the sun, and yet some are cared for by by a dedicated farmer in a nutrient soil. Here, they're given the opportunity to grow and to prosper. You see, my hope is that just like the dedicated farmer nurturing seeds to plant, I can have a lasting influence on my students and my colleagues' lives by embodying the fruit of the Spirit. Then maybe, just maybe, I'm providing them with what they need in that exact moment. Maybe all they needed was for a teacher to show them patience and gentleness last week as they anxiously navigated their first day back to school. Maybe my coworker needed someone to say something loving and kind to them after finishing up one of the most challenging and draining work weeks to date. It's through these interactions that I have had the opportunity to ensure one of my students that I wholeheartedly believe they were created in God's image and were perfect exactly the way they are. Or I've had the chance to promise to lift my colleagues' work struggles up in prayer and witness their relief when that prayer was answered. Just in the span of this last summer, my students have been returning to school, trying to make sense of issues like a suicide, addiction, their family's poverty, broken relationships, their personal identity, the overwhelming list goes on. Without the Lord by my side, I'm merely just another adult, unable and ill-equipped to help them through all of these issues. But I know that's not why I've been called to public education. You see, the Lord handpicked me for this position to draw others' attention and awareness to my faith and belief in him. Is it always accepted or appreciated? No. (laughs) But that's not my job. My job isn't to force acceptance of my faith. My purpose is to share God's love, his joy, his peace, and his patience, to share his kindness, his goodness, his faithfulness, his gentleness, and his self-control. As I begin this new school year, I continue to pray that the Lord gives me the compassion and the confidence I need to start planting the seeds in faith, hoping that I can be even a small part of their journey and their walk with God. Thank you.
if, um, if you work in the public school, would you stand up for a minute? Because we want to pray over you as we just started. So whatever your job is in the public school, not you, Adam, you're just a principal. No, just kidding. <laughs> even, even you, Adam, even Adam. <laughs> We're going to pray over everybody who works in our public schools. So if uh, you can reach over and you can touch uh, somebody there to lay hands on them, let us, uh, let's pray for, um, for our, our people in the public schools. Heavenly Father, we just pray that you would pour your spirit out on each of these individuals, that you would use them in whatever way you want to use them in the schools, Father. As Mary Kay said, maybe they're planting seeds, maybe they're um, tilling soil, maybe they're um, harvesting a crop, Father. Whatever it is you have done, I pray that you would help them to do that in their schools. Lord, I pray that you'd give them wisdom and discernment. I pray that you would bring people along who are ready to hear the good news. I pray that you would um, protect them. Sometimes some of our schools can be a little hostile. So for the people in those schools, I pray that you would protect them. But in all things, Father, I pray that you would use them for your glory, that your kingdom would be built here on earth, even in our public schools. Father, we thank you for each one of these individuals and for the work you're doing, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So thank you for working in our schools. And when I was working with Impact, I, I did get to spend a lot of time in our schools, and I know what a blessing it was to have Christian Christians working in those schools. So uh, today, I was going to start with a question. I've decided I'm not going to start with questions. We're just going to start sharing a little bit here. I would say that for most of us, we go throughout our day, whether it's at work, whether we're walking in the park, whether even at church, we're out for dinner, whatever it is we're doing, and we come across people, and whether we say this to ourselves, whether we think it or we just act like it, there's certain people that we just don't associate with, that we think, well, that person, you know, they're not going to come to know Christ, or they don't look like me, I'm too nervous to go up and talk to them, or, or I don't want to talk to them or spend time with them. Whatever it is, I think all of us can probably say that there are times when we have that attitude, when we act in that way, when we refuse to show the love of Christ because that person doesn't look, think, or act just the way that we do. But I want you to consider, especially for those of you who you've been coming for a while, you've known Christ for a while, you call him Lord, you call him Savior. What did you look like before that day when he came to you? Or maybe he sent someone to you did you look like a person that was worthy to be reached? Today's passage, we're going to see that the Pharisees and the religious people, they very much kept people at arm's reach, 
who didn't look like them or act like them or think like them. So I want you to wonder, I want you to ask yourself, would the Pharisees in our story, would the religious leaders in our story, would they have sat down and had dinner with you? I can guarantee you the answer is no, simply because none of you are Jewish. You would be Gentiles, and if you weren't at least trying to do everything that they did and look like they did, they would have criticized Jesus for eating with you, just as they did the other sinners in this passage we're going to read. So I want you to think about where you were before you knew Christ and where you are now. We're going to read Luke 15, verses 1 through 10. If you would open up your Bibles to that. If you're in the Pew Bible, there's a page number right up there on the screen for you. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have revealed yourself to us. We thank you for your grace that even though we did not deserve it, even though we are not worthy, you have still shown us that grace. You have still loved us. Father, I pray that you would speak to each one of us today from your word, that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to receive the message you have for us. Whether they are words that I speak or not, Father, let them be words that we each hear from you. Lord, do a mighty work today. And let each one of us walk out of here today looking a little more like your son, Jesus. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So within the Wesleyan tradition, which if this is a United Methodist Church, we are within the Wesleyan tradition, we teach provenient grace. Now, I grew up in a different denomination, so I didn't really know what provenient grace was until I got here. You know, I knew of justifying grace, that grace that saves us. I knew of sanctifying grace, that work that God does in us to help us to become more like him. But I didn't really know what provenient grace was. But provenient grace says that before you are even aware of it, God is already working in your life. If you are new here today, 
Why are you here? Or maybe you've even just come back for some reason. Is it because your girlfriend made you show up or your wife made you show up? Or maybe you're here visiting a parent or for whatever other reason um, you are here. You may think that that is the reason that you are here today. But I would suggest to you that that's not necessarily the reason. That God is working behind the scenes. That God has a purpose for you showing up here this Sunday morning. Maybe this message is for you because God is already working in your life, showing you grace and you might not even realize it yet that all along he has been showing you his grace. You see, all the people in this passage were experiencing God's grace and they didn't even know it yet. Already God was working in the life of each one of them as he sat and ate with them. Now, if you're new, this may be confusing when we say that God was working in their life because he was sitting and eating with them. Or if you're just very young in your faith still, what does that mean? God was working in their life because Jesus was sitting and eating with them. But you see, in the Christian tradition, we believe in the Trinity. We believe in God the Father, like the Apostles' Creed that we recited earlier. We believe in God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ, his Son, and we believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe in three gods in one. We believe what the church has taught for over 2,000 years, that Jesus is God. Now, I know maybe you've read Dan Brown books or something else that would suggest that Jesus is not God and this was a made-up invention, but that's just not the case. When they sat down at the Council of Nicaea to discuss, is Jesus the Son of God? Is he God? Is he one with the Father? They weren't making up a new theology. They were confirming what was already believed at the time. Jesus is God. So as Jesus is spending time with them, talking to them, loving them, he is showing the grace of God. He is showing his grace. They have done nothing to deserve his love or even his time or attention. And yet Jesus Christ, God, is showing them grace anyway. God is already in this passage, at this meal, working in the lives of the sinners and the religious leaders. The starting point for God's work in our life is grace. It is by his grace that we are called and it is by his grace that we are saved. There is nothing that we can do to earn his grace. We certainly don't deserve his grace. It is all God. As a matter of fact, throughout the scriptures, Jesus refers to us as sheep. In this passage again, he starts talking about sheep, referring to us. Why does he refer to us as sheep so often? Anybody have a good guess? <laughs> because we're soft and cuddly and cute, right? 
I've got one of the three. It's cute. If, for those of you who are thinking soft, no. <laughs> it's, it's cute. <laughs> but that's not why God refers to us as sheep. He calls us sheep because we're dumb. I would say we're stupid, but my kids yell at me when I say stupid, but they're not here um, right now, so I can share with you why we're saying dumb today. But really, sheep are dumb. Tim Keller tells some stories about sheep. He says that they will wander anywhere that they see food. Specifically, in the podcast I was listening to recently from him, he says that if there is grass on a cliff, they will climb up onto this cliff. They will get onto a ledge. They will eat the grass, but then they can't get down. And if you don't go up and rescue them, they'll die there. They're dumb. And then even worse, he says, that when you go to save your sheep, it's not like a dog or maybe even a cat. Cats are kind of dumb too. But, <laughs> but you go up to save a dog and you're like, come here. The dog will come to you. A cat, maybe. It depends on his mood. A sheep will not. Sheep will not come to you. And Tim Keller says that the shepherd has to actually get up there, tackle the sheep, tie it up, and carry it down. That is the only way to get a sheep back in with the rest of the herd. I found it interesting as I was studying it. I, I love icons, so I really like looking at old icons, ancient icons, which are just pictures that the early church drew. But oftentimes in these icons, there's stories being told. And as I looked up the stories about sheep in icon form, in most of the icons, the, sheeps are, the sheep is on the shoulders of Jesus, just like it says in this passage. And he's holding tight to the feet. Because again, he has to bring the sheep back down to the fold. So calling us sheep is not a compliment. Just like sheep, we can do nothing, oh, I'm sorry, just like sheep who can do nothing to contribute to saving itself, we also do nothing to contribute to our own salvation. The work was done by Christ. So maybe right now your life isn't working. Maybe you know there's something out there, but you refuse to simply run to God on your own. Usually we have to hit rock bottom before we have the wherewithal to look up to Christ. We will sit on that ledge eating the same grass till it's gone and then we'll die there. But hopefully when we hit rock bottom, when we recognize that this life isn't working for me, maybe we'll finally look to Christ. So you might be running around on that cliff knowing that you are lost, that you need help, and that God is calling you, but still you may refuse to come to him. And I often pray for people to hit rock bottom so that they will finally stop looking to themselves for the answers and start looking to God for the answers.
the one who can actually save them. God is calling for you to come back. If you knew him, but have just kind of slipped away, he is calling you to come back. If you never knew him, if you have never known him, today he's calling you home. You're here for a reason. God is doing something in your life already that you are here today. And for both groups, again, it isn't because you have done something to earn it, because you haven't. Paul reminds us of this also in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, when he says, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourself. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. It is by God's grace alone that he is calling you out. Now, if this is you today, you have a decision to make. Will you follow this Jesus or will you choose to walk away? God in his grace will reveal himself to each one of us at some point, I believe. Then we have a decision. Are we going to follow him or not? So if you're in one of those two groups that we're talking about, I encourage you to meditate on this idea. If not, if you have been following Christ, if you have been faithfully a faithful servant of Christ, you call him Lord, you live as though he is Lord, then I believe in this passage we have another word for you as well. You see, in our passage, Jesus is calling the lost home. He is calling the sinner to himself. He is calling those who don't feel worthy or that others may not deem worthy. But to God, God wants all to come to him. So as a church, do we have the same goal as God? Do we want all to come to him? You see, I think at times... We wrestle with this the way that Frodo wrestles with Gollum in Lord of the Rings. If you don't know Lord of the Rings, if you haven't watched it, um, I'm sorry, but you're going to hear a little passage from it. Frodo is talking about Gollum to uh, Gandalf. Gandalf is the wise wise wizard-like guy, basically like me, just taller. Um, (laughs) That's not not true at all either. But Frodo is talking to Gandalf about Gollum. Gollum is uh, kind of the villain, sort of, of this this story. And he tells Gandalf, it's a pity that Bilbo did not kill Gollum when he had the chance. And I love Gandalf's response. He says, pity? It's pity that stayed Bilbo's hand. Many that live deserve death. Some that die deserve life. Can you give it to them, Frodo? Do not be too eager to deal out death in judgment. Even the very wise cannot see all ends. My heart tells me that Gollum has some part to play in it, for good or evil, before this is over. The pity of Bilbo may rule the fate of many. Frodo responds, I wish the ring had never come to me. I wish none of this had happened. And Gandalf says, so do all who live who see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide 
is what to do with the time that is given to us. There are other forces at work in this world, Frodo, besides that of evil. Bilbo was meant to find the ring, in which case you also were meant to have it. And that is an encouraging thought. God showed his grace to you. If you know him, because you were meant to have it. And isn't that an encouraging thought? But what are we gonna do with that grace? I think we need to remember the words of Gandalf here when he says, do not be too eager to deal out death in judgment. Now that may sound melodramatic for our time here today, because Frodo is talking about killing somebody or letting them live. But is our decision any less significant? When we refuse to reach out to someone with the gospel of Jesus Christ because they look different or act different from us or think differently than us, we are doling out judgment that may last for an eternity. And who are we to decide who God has called and who he hasn't? Who are we to withhold the love of Christ from others? Because at the table of God, there are plenty of people of all different varieties. Now this was unheard of to the Jews. To the Jews, you only ate with your own kind. Everyone else was a Gentile, everyone else was unworthy or undesirable. But Jesus reveals in this passage, in the very last line that we read, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. To the religious leader of Jesus' day, you had to look a certain way, act a certain way, think a certain way to sit at the table with them. But Jesus, who came from heaven, who knew what it was like in heaven, he says this isn't the way it is in heaven. This is the way you have made it. But in heaven, many different people will be sitting at the same table. And he says, when one person repents, when one person gains their seat at the table in heaven, the angels rejoice. So are we inviting to the table those who we think should be there? Are we opening up our table and inviting all who God wants there. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for this day. Oh, Father, I pray that you would open our eyes, that you would give us the courage and the boldness that we would share the good news with everyone we come across, Father. That we would never look at a person and say, oh, I can't talk to them, or oh, I'm not going to talk to them. I'm not going to invite them, Father. Oh, Father, give us the courage and the boldness. Give us the eyes to see people the way you see them, Father. Give us a heart that we may love people the way you love them, that we would never limit who we are inviting to your table, Father, that we would never stop inviting people to your church, that we would never stop inviting people to come to know you as Lord and Savior. Father, do a mighty work in us and through us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, 
Uh, now we have our time to reflect on uh, what God has spoken to you today. Take some time to, to really pray and ask God, where am I in this story? Am I one of the people who God maybe is showing grace to and I need to come home today? If that's you, we would love to have you come up and we will pray with you. Um, or if, if you don't want to come up front, um, grab me after the sermon. I would love to get to pray with you. We also have the time to reflect on how God has blessed us um, throughout the week and um, with our finances and how we can give back to him. So our offering baskets are in the back. You can uh, put your offering in there if you want. If you're new, we're not asking for your offering. We're not asking you to give. Um, This is for people who have been here, who are part of this church, who call this their church family, who want to support their church family. But for all of us, we get to reflect also on how we can use our gifts for God's glory as well. So take this time during the song to reflect on what God has done and is doing in your life. Thank you. 